Let's do it. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars now for almost a year and a half. It's been uh, just a blast interviewing so many interesting people and finding out about people that are doing so many different things in the horse world, things that you wouldn't come across every day. Like the last webinar we did with Lori and um, uh, Terry Nowoski. Terry, Terry Nowoski about uh, scenting. Um, so today it's Lori uh, Adams, and she's joining us again to talk about search and rescue with horses. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, and, and how to find lost horses That's out it. in the how wilderness. Kind of right. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. So, Lori, so, um, if you ahead. would please just give everybody your background, how you ever got involved in search and rescue in the first place. Obviously, you've had horses all your life. I can tell that. <laughs> but where um, along that trail did you wind up getting interested in search and rescue? Well, we live in a small community in Central Oregon and um, Camp Sherman. It's along a, a wild and scenic river and it's right up against the mountains. And so people know where Bend is. Oh, yeah. We're west of that. We're west of Bend, um, up in just at the foothills. And um, trying to make a long story short, my husband does business consulting basically around the world. And when we had the kids, uh, we, I was in the Bay Area. We're both native Oregonians, but we went down to the Bay Area and, and I just didn't fit in. <laughs> and, um, I, I, I said, I can't raise my kids where they pave the pave the, the forest. And so I ended up coming back up to Oregon. I wanted a Ponderosa forest because I'd grown up in Eastern Oregon with that. And I ended up going, um, we had a, a, a group that was starting the search and rescue because at that point, the late 90s, there just seemed to be more and more people going outdoors and and getting either injured or lost or, or both. And so one of the things that the little two-room schoolhouse that we had, the teacher and her husband was the deputy sheriff and they had um, a, a youth program. And so my kids all joined and it's a great way um, for them to really feel competent. Uh, they can spend a night in the woods. That's one of the tests. You have to just have what you take on a day pack and go out in the woods and build your own shelter, build your fire. And and then it just gave them a whole lot of life lessons and to be able to have service to others. And so that's kind of how we started. And then um, after they all graduated, so they were able to start when they were 14, and then they all graduated and, and went on, on to their own things. And so I had had horses, and then we were just starting up a, a, a horse team for a neighboring county. And so and there was an interest in that. And so we did the, the search and rescue. Um, with with the horses. And one of the differences, most county sheriffs have posses that is their color guard and and depending on the state, lots of different um, elements of it. And part of 
uh, at least in Oregon, in the Northwest here, part of the responsibility is search and rescue for, for them as um, for the posses as well. But many times uh, being on the other end, so we have a management area of having people come in with horses and um, did not, many of the posse was more rodeo based um, <laughs> to say it well. And, and I was actually at the trailhead one time and a group from a neighboring county came to help and the uh, subjects mother that was in a car and a horse reared and landed on her car. And, and, and so um, they, the, the incident commanders were not really uh, keen on helping. And so that's where we started developing saying, I started instructing with search and rescue as well. I have a background in education, art, and like I said, fly fishing. And so that's kind of a passion of mine, being able to transfer information and ended up with the search and rescue, um, just saying we really need to make, they can be a valuable resource, a, a huge resource. And then we learned also with the scenting, we added that to our, our toolbox but they really needed training. They needed to not be a liability and, right. and to have the, the real training. So we were able to put, um, you could be in part of the posse, but you also had to have your basic uh, search and rescue training and, and go from there. And, and um, we developed a, a one where we use the horse as a partner uh, we talk a lot about the the equine sign language, but we use the horse as a partner in multiple ways. Uh, just a, a simple one is so if you have a compass, one of the things you have to do in search and rescue is know where you are, know how to do a, a map and compass. And but if you think about it on a Western saddle, uh, you have metal and you have in your horn. And so that messes up the compass. So developing ways to, to make sure your compass isn't adjusted and then using, as you have to, to take a sighting, you have to move your body. Well, if your horse, first of all, doesn't stand still or takes, takes cues from your hips, if you're turning your body from one side to the other to take a, a bearing on the compass, the horse will start moving. So what we said is let's just use their ears as a, as a, as a, a guide. And, and then we move the horse and use our, our turning on the haunches or turning on the forehand to be able to set our sight and, and then making sure it's not, um, it's away and the horse is under control, but really having some good lateral control with the horse to be able to, to move. So using as a partner, we can go a lot farther um, because we can see farther for the a leapfrog type of a thing. So using the compass and, and lots, and we teach map and compass, even though uh, there's GPSs and they work well, but they are a electronic device that 
that will stop at some point when it runs out of batteries and and hopefully the map and compass won't won't as long as you have the knowledge in your brain so yeah, sometimes old school is the way to go because you know you lose power and you're done you know it is and and the phones now have have a lot of those kinds of things on them as well but um but that's the same thing i mean you'll you'll lose lose power and you don't you can't reach anyone and and so if you don't know where you are and what you're gonna <laughs> what you're doing then um you're then we have to come in and help <laughs> yeah, exactly. so um uh, by the way somebody said that uh kathy said she really enjoyed your last webinar and i'm curious about the size of your town because i live in a really tiny town but i am not so far out as you are. <laughs> we at Camp Sherman is um, a, a tiny town. We we grow in the winter, in the summer, I mean, uh, but we have in the area a about probably 200 full-time residents. So, um, but we're close to, to an, it's an hour away to the largest city, a half hour to a a medium-sized city. Bend is the the larger city. Where I like to say we're three hours away from many escalators. <laughs> so, um, that's in Portland, so we're three hours away from Portland. But right, so so you really are in a remote area. Like I live in a town of 130 people, but I'm 50 miles from Washington D.C. So yeah. I wouldn't call it remote. I would call it rural. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Or yes. I say you are more remote. Yes, more remote. And and I we can um the wilderness which goes the whole Pacific Crest Trail is um from where I keep my horses, it's six miles I can ride to the wilderness and then hop on the PCT and go the full length of, of the country. So wow. we are very close. We border um, the national forest is all around our private property. And then we border the wilderness as well. So uh, we can, we can get, a, get away <laughs> from, from other yeah. people. All right. So, so what you're going to talk to us about using horses for search and rescue. I'm just curious, is there a of a specific kind of horse that's really good at this job, or is this a job that any horse can do? Any horse can really do it. Um, we we do the, um, it's just amount of training. I mean, and and being able to, 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 to work in an environment where um, you do need that partnership. And that's one of the reasons that with, with what we do with Terry, with equine sign language, is that there are lots of times on a rough trail, um, we don't, we let the head, the horses have their heads and we ride on a loose rein for the most part, just because they can pick their path a whole lot better than we can. And they're going to um, be much safer than if we say, no, you need to go this way. Um, there are a few instances where we have to direct them if, if they're herd bound. But one of the things we, we do on, we have a, a the, each state has their own certification for a search and rescue, 
part of it. Oftentimes it's with the posse and, and it says what you have to be able to accomplish. And one of the things is not have them herd bound so they can independently operate, um, being able to, to stand patiently, be able to handle by multiple people, being able to be trailered in multiple trailers, uh, be tied to a, a trailer. Uh, lots of search and rescue is hurry up and wait <laughs> until we get in our assignment. And then, um, and then we, we uh, so they, they stand, we were on a mission up in uh, Crater Lake National Park and there was a, a young autistic boy that was uh, lost and uh, it was snowing hard and their incident command, which is the, the people at that time is the park service and there were multiple counties, but they, they were going through, could we go across country and <laughs> all these kinds of things. And so we accumulated about eight inches of snow on the back of our horses. <laughs> and <laughs> fortunately we have saddle covers, but um, it's the kind of thing where we had to have them outside the trailer because at any minute we were going to say go. And, and uh, as we sat there waiting. <laughs> wow. But having them being um, patient and and uh, just a lot of it is just it's training. It's being able to to use that training. How how far an area do you cover? In other words, can you be called in anywhere in Oregon, or is is there a certain district? Um, so basically, the search and rescue is all organized by county, and then counties have mutual aid with each other. And so ours, depending on the, we're considered a resource. And so depending on the resource that we have, um, that we are, so different counties might have a swift water or they might do a um, high angle technical um, teams. And so they'll use different teams for different purposes. So we can be called across the state. With the air scenting, we try to do that um, as a regional, so being called, but again, to different areas. But it's, it's a little bit of a challenge to, to, in this part of the country to, to get people to understand that the horses can scent and they'll oftentimes use the dogs because they're familiar and and there's a lot of investment in the dogs as well. And so, yeah, so. I don't know if uh, you probably didn't get called in, but um, not long ago, there was a, a light aircraft that went down in Oregon uh -huh. uh, and the, and the pilot and the co-pilot um, were found by search and rescue. It happened to be my dear friends from Vashon Island that were, oh, really? <laughs> yes. Well, actually, I think I was on that one as a recovery for the plane. Um, they landed in, um, in, uh, starts with a P, oh, Polina Lake. Yeah. Is that, it I was a couple so. years ago? No, this is, this is actually this year, a few months ago. Oh, this year. Oh, okay. Then the, yeah. no, I didn't. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, this year they, they, um, their light aircraft engine went out and they landed in the top of some trees and mm. search and rescue found them. Yeah. Well, we, um, we've done 
that's another thing we do is is recovery of, of things. But there was an airplane that landed. People were able to get out safely, ran out of fuel engine problems, and they landed. The only place they could land was on the lake. It was not an, a float plane. And then they were able to, to get out and some Boy Scouts were there. So we knew where it was, but then we had to, it's a pretty pristine lake and had to be removed. <laughs> and so we packed in a recovery team that floated the lane and, and with the horses. That's another thing. We, we just have them experience lots of things. And we had a helicopter, a great big helicopter come and lift and the horses are probably 50 feet away from, from the helicopter. And they just turned their backsides to the, to the wash and, uh, and stood there very quietly it had lots of people nervous. They go, don't you want to move them? And I go, Nope, they're good. <laughs> and, and so that's, those are kinds of things that, that we can do. We also do, um, with the horse team, uh, because we can carry things, you can't use mechanical in the wilderness. Historically, uh, they don't allow airplanes and an aircraft or motorized in the wilderness. And so even for, for re body recovery, or if there's a fatality or something, the horses, we bring them in. And so that's another thing we can offer search and rescue is, um, is a body recovery. And, and we train for that. So the horses, it has a distinct smell and, and those kinds of things. And so um, that's a little sad, but we try to be very respectful and the horses are, are great. So we train them to, to pack and to also do patient. We've had a couple where some hunters have been injured and we had a ground team going in and it was four miles for the ground team, but because of the downfall and they, they were, took them over two hours. We did 11 miles on horseback up and around and got to them. And by the time we got to them, it took us an hour and a half to be able to hoof it and, and they'd still only made two miles. And so we were able, this gentleman, um, able to package him and stabilize his leg. And we ponied in, I had a, a paramedic with us that could, could do some of the treatment. And then we took him back out the other way. We walked them, the horses, and, and then we're able to to do that. So they can, they can be really useful in, in particularly in the, in the mountainous area. And it's all about training. I mean, so it's not any particular type of horse. Um, I have gated horses and I tell you some of the people in, enjoy that. Uh, I was on one of my, the partner, Kate Beardsley and I were doing some packing for the forest service and her horse got some stung by bees and she came off and, and, uh, landed. And, and so, um, landed on a root wad and, and had some, I was pretty sure we, we have, I'm a wilderness first responder, which is just can figure out things out <laughs> in the wilderness. It's first aid for, for out there, but 
I figured she had some internal injuries and my gated horse is long leg and I had to hoof it out in front of him, but got her up on top of him and we have protocols. And it was one of those things that again, practice, we knew that the biggest challenge was to hold her and say, you are the patient now. (laughs) (laughs) You're not part of the team. You're not going to tell me. And, and, uh, put her on the, on the horse. And as a gated horse, I had to, to trot in front of him to keep up, but we were able to cover uh, four and a half miles in just under an hour with a patient. They're smooth. So that's, that would be the only, only other thing is that um, having, you know, anybody needs to be able to ride the horses. They need to be well-trained. So. All right. So I, so let's get into your topic. Okay. Mm. Let me see if I can share my screen. Let's see. Oh, don't see the one show all windows. I've got too many windows open, it looks like. Sometimes that happens. Oh, let's see. Go back. All right. Sorry about that. Just take just one minute. Why isn't this? We're on the edge so, of the <laughs> Yes, I know. Um, okay. Well, there it is. No, that's a different one. Okay, it must be down here. There we go. All right, share. Okay. You can see this now? Yep. Do you see it as the presentation or as a? No, not as a presentation yet. I just see it as, you know, if you're going to make changes. Yes. There we go. There we go. Okay. Now, do you still see me as well? Or you're on the right hand side. Okay. Okay. And people are um, amazing work you do, by the way. What? Uh, they're impressed with the amazing work that you do. Oh, good. <laughs> well, lots of lots of diversity, and and it's one of those things. Growing up on a ranch, I um, it, having horses was was part of. You had a purpose, and and I really enjoy being able to to have them at a purpose, and it gives me kind of incentive and motivation to get out there and and really work with them as well. So, um, so what, just talking, uh, this is what Rebecca had, had talked to me about as she's written the articles on the loose horses in different areas and how to do that. But, um, also we've had multiple horses that have been out in a, um, uh, in a wilderness area and, and having to go out and find them and use them. I'm going to put this in as well. So 
So, so I was just going to, oh, nope, that's not it. <laughs> okay. There we go. Um, just a little bit about me, uh, the lifetime horse owner, ranch in Central Oregon, searched around since 99, uh, mounted educator, mounted SAR educator. And um, I also do the, uh, if you're familiar with, with the uh, Igala, which is a equine assisted growth and learning. And I've been an equine specialist with them. And then um, on the equine rescue. So um, a lot of the information that I have is, is kind of practical and to be able to prepare for, and it works for both just loose horses, but lost horses as well. It's out of experience um, doing a daily routine. So kind of preparing at the barn, at your home, uh, having some kind of a routine. Most people were, are going to give a, give a, a supplement or a grain on a regular basis. And use the science of Pavlov uh, is that associate the food with the sound and, and actually give it to them on a regular basis on a routine. And one of the things we found on, we call it the Fletch search, which was 2017 uh, was that, that she, we would say, okay, how do you call your horses in? And she says, well, I normally call this the Suey. Um, <laughs> it was Susie was uh, the lead mare. And so she would call Susie in. And, um, and that was after a while when you're doing this, because we were on this search for just about, oh, a week and then a fire broke out, so about two weeks, but at least calling a long time, your voice gets very tired and, and having something besides that, besides a, a voice uh, to call in a, an animal, a horse. Um, one of the things we do in, in traditional ground search and rescue is that we have a whistle and I'll just do a little plug for international um, distress sign is three blows on a whistle or three of anything. And then the response of anyone that's coming to help you is two. So if you ever hear three um, or you are, are, are in need of something, doing them in, in a group of three is what you wanna do. We use whistle. And then we also uh, use, for, for people, we use calling their name because sometimes uh, if a person is hyperthermic or, or not completely um, aware, if they've been out there a while, they'll recognize a name. So it's a different tone. Uh, it, the whistle is easier to do. The voice calling them is, is much more difficult after a while because you come hoarse. And so you don't want to having to do that. So one thing I've come up with, with my horses and have actually used it. Um, I came off one time out in the woods and, and I sent my friend Kate up after 
I'd gone into the hospital, but um, my horse was out and I said, well, take the dinner bell or just ding on some two pieces of metal. And sure enough, between that and the truck noise, he popped right back up and he, (laughs) she was able to bring him back. But having like a dinner bell, it's easily replicated. So you can ring the bell um, when they get the food, before they get the food, my horses come in, they know that that sound is if they ever get out, which occasionally I've got a Houdini that could open, open three different types of latches on my, on a single gate, I have three latches, <laughs> you can get them open, but I just ring the bell and they know that they're going to get there. I do supplement and a little bit of, of, uh, so they, they, they like that. And so they, they come in on a regular basis. You can, because the dinner bell is, is loud enough, you can hear it, but also it can be replicated out by somebody else, by not you. You can say that's my, the sign for them to come in and ding it. And you can just take two pieces of metal or you can, to, to make that sign kind of noise, you can do that anywhere. So anyone can, can do it. So um, some people use, use a whistle or those kinds of things, but some of the searchers don't, can't whistle. And and so that's um, a a really good start just to, so they associate and with the food and the sound. Wendy, do you use anything like, like a, a call in or I, I call him, I call my horse's name. His name is Al and they're, mm-hmm. um, and they come in, um, but they finally just figured yeah. that out. It's taken a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it, a lot of people do, if, if ever you're, they, they get completely away and you have to have somebody else then having that same, they're very sensitive to the pitch and those kinds of things. So having something that's really common is a, is a good Good thing to. My guys are very sensitive to their to their the meal bucket we make their food up in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, this one is de- develop that relationship the uh, with your equine, um, and this is a, a a shameless plug for the <laughs> the equine sign language. Um, I do. Terry does, and and. Um, specifically being reading what they're what what they're telling you and then also knowing your own human sign language that you're communicating to them because um, we we transmit if we're hyped up if we're excited that excites them if we're calm it excites them um, equines are a herd animal. And even if they're just by themselves, they're constantly, they, they want a herd and they need a herd. And they've allowed us in as, as part of the herd, if we become a good leader and, and being, um, a trusted leader to them is, is another part where they know that, that you're going to, to take care of them and, and they can follow you and be able um, as, as opposed to just being a, a beast of burden um, that they understand that 
they don't need to get away from you that if if they're out and lost that you are are their leader and they might be frightened but for them to come back to you um, because uh, you've developed a relationship and and then it's also trusting them developing some of that at the at the at the barn or at your at your home or wherever that happens to be um, developing what what they're telling you and understanding what that is so in some of the things that on the uh, classes that I do we it's it's not horsemanship it's different so um, it doesn't matter which side they're on, but what you're doing is having them changing your body language so that they'll, they'll come and follow you and they'll, they make a choice. They don't have to, because the goal is to keep a loose lead line and that they will follow you. They'll stop, they'll start, they'll be able to turn. And then to, to unhook that lead and be able to have your changing energy, your changing your direction and giving them the, the equine sign language, kind of speaking their language and practicing that even when they're not in an enclosed area, practicing that, then you can really tell whether or not they trust you as their leader. If they will stop and start without a halter on or without a, a lead rope on. I do some um, with just a, a, a rope around the neck that's uh, attached. And that way it's, it's different with the uh, tra <clears throat> training. Lots of times when we do different, different types of training, we'll, we'll change the tack. And so so there's different tack that we use for a reining horse. There's different tack I use for air scenting. There's different tack that I use for showmanship or horsemanship. So I'll change what's what I communicate with them on their face. And, and one of the ways is just to put a loop around their, their, their neck, not a halter, and have them move and follow. What that does is if you're out and about there again, you know that if you change your body language or you speak their language, you're gonna be able to have them draw in and, and like the join up, but it's a little different in that it's, it's you being their leader. They're gonna to come to you and, and just practicing that, practicing them choosing to follow you instead of us always directing them with a line. And so that's another, another thing to practice and having that ahead of time. Oops. Um, you know, we, as all of us know, have human body language, sign language, I'm going to call it sign language because it's multidimensional, folded arms, stiff, upright. They can mean all kinds of different things. And, and um, how we approach and being very conscious of what we're, what we're saying, what we're projecting, what we're telling the horses, because they, 
totally depend on 75 or more percent on reading the sign of other horses. They have a little bit of the, the language part, uh, the vocalization, but for the most part, it is, it is watching the sign and they're very observant. We did some tests with Terry with a Mustang and um, they very much watch our eyes. So we had the Mustang doing the same kind of a, a walking, stopping, changing your body, lifting, looking where you want to go, and then just looking down again when you want to stop all on a loose lead. And this horse was doing it just fine. We thought, <clears throat> wonder what happens. So he put sunglasses on and immediately the horse's head went up, his whole body position went up because he couldn't see um, the his leader's eyes and he couldn't see and read that particular part of it. So he was much more nervous. And we have that documented on a, a couple of, with a couple of different horses. Some of the horses that um, are, are older and are, don't really care. <laughs> Didn't seem to have a, a big, I mean, they'll, they'll follow whoever got a 30, 34 year old horse. That is my, my uh, basic horse and he'll, he'll follow anybody anywhere, but, and it didn't make a difference if we had sunglasses on or not, but definitely the Mustang and the younger horses, depending on where they were in the herd order, um, really made an effect. This particular Mustang was higher up in the herd order. And so it was just fascinating watching the difference. So just being able to be aware of our own, our own sign language, our human sign language, and how it affects the, the horses. Um, they have intuitive, they use it all the time. They use it in the wild to find minerals, to find water, to find vegetation, and they're communicating with each other all the time. Because as a herd, you can watch them, they'll move synchronous, synchronous, um, I never quite get that word right, but in, in sync with each other, they, they will move around. And, and there has to be a communication of some sort. And uh, in order to do that, not to run into each other and, and have the whole thing. So they're constantly communicating. They are constantly trying to trial and error with us, trying to communicate with us as well. Um, here's a, the clinic. This is a picture of Terry's book, uh, The Equine uh, Sign Language and Communication. Again, just talking about all the different areas and then the combination language. If you're interested, if anyone's interested, you can contact me there. So the other part is um, what to take and what to plan for. So this is kind of at your trailer, at your barn, wherever it is. If you're going to go out, uh, just know the difference between your tack. Uh, so one of the things that we found, um, particularly we've looked for some horses that were part of endurance rides, that a lot of the endurance people, because the horses sweat and lather, they've gone to, it's a, more of a nylon based or it's a, it's a plasticized base. 
um, because it's easily washed and it's very durable. The, the disadvantage with that is that those, if a horse does get loose, uh, they can get caught up in something, particularly if they have all their tack on, they can get caught. Um, and then what happens is they'll usually die of, of um, lack of water because uh, they'll get snagged and, and a leather one will break um, much more. The, the power that the horse can exert on it will break a leather uh, halters and leather parts of your saddle, the, the cinches, those kinds of, of things can, if they get stuck in a tree or, or branches, those will break. The nylon-based or the synthetic-based um, don't. And if they're fortunate to be out long enough, they weather um, and they, they'll, they've just shown that they'll, the, the horses, you can do good control, but the power that they can exert on it, even in a distressed area, can break. Um, one of the things we recommend is particularly if you're out and, and you know, where you guys are, I, I know that there's some larger parks, but um, so I just kind of do this as a, as a general, uh, it's helpful to, to have a, a halter under the bridle. And that can be a very small rope halter or they have emergency ones. One of the reasons is, is if you ever get off um, having, having reins or a lead rope that, that clips and unclips, so you're not trying to pull or, or move a horse with a bit, um, the bit's designed to be pulled back. If it's pulled forward, it pressures the mouth and it communicates um, to the horse in an entirely different way. And so, Having the lead rope to a halter, there are bridle halters that that don't don't give the indication any indication on the bit. You can just unhook it and hook it onto the bridle halter. Are are really good options. Um, and having the lead rope separate or reins that that disconnect um, that are easy because if you one of the things that happens if you're not in control of the reins, if the reins drop or can't be disconnected, um, that can easily, the, I've had horses actually break their necks um, because they pulled back and the, the way that the mouth and their, their head um, was, was torqued, it just snapped their neck, but it also will, will break their teeth and even if they don't get stuck, if they're not able to, to eat out in the wild, um, then they, that causes a, an issue as well. So having a lead rope. Um, Somebody's got a question about the rope halters that everybody uses and a lot of them use under their bridles. They're, they're a nylon, so they're not gonna break, right? <clears throat> That, that is true. The, the rope halters are typically a nylon. Um, one of the, the concepts with that one is that um, it's not as in the, the mouth and control with the bits and, and those kinds of things. 
Um, I, with the rope halter, when I'm going to do it, it makes a loop at the top and you can do a little breakaway on that part. We use that with our wild horse, with the Mustangs. Uh, you just tie a piece of baling twine between where you, you loop it through and then that creates a breakaway. Um, and then yeah, they don't a get lot hung of people, up. You know, think about the rope halters underneath their bridles and stuff, but that if a horse gets hooked up on that rope halter, that's not going to give if it doesn't. No, no. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes those, because of the design of them, um, they will come off easier than other ones will off of their heads in a forward motion. So a horse will, if they pull back, but that is another, another good idea is to do a breakaway. Um, and, and oftentimes I'll do a leather breakaway, just a leather strap and, and put that through the loop and tie that through the, the top on, on anything I want to, instead of bailing twine, I just don't like the look of Bailey yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> on, on everything. It looks a little tacky. So I just, you, know, you can get the, the leather um, shoelaces and those kinds of things really easily. And that becomes your breakaway. It, it takes more for, for the horse to, to break it. Um, and so I don't have it. Um, that seems to work, work well. Um, any other questions on that part? Nope. Uh, the having a tree strap or um, sometimes uh, people make sure they have hobbles. Hobbles can work very well, uh, but you do have to again train your horse. Uh, we, if you're going to have a horse tied to a tree for very long, we recommend not doing that because if they paw or anything, it'll kill the tree in the national forest, but having something so that you can secure the horse. If you um, need to use a facility or <laughs> be, be out there where you can't necessarily be in control of the horse. Uh, this one that um, was got loose was a borrowed horse practicing for an endurance ride and uh, she had eaten lunch. She had just turned around and to pick up one more thing off the ground, but she didn't have the horse contained and she didn't have a lead rope and she had just the reins and the horse just pulled the reins. I mean, I think she actually just had the reins over his neck in a, in a loop and just just that moment's like it's out of reach grabbed it and he he took off and so um that's where if it's just a short amount of time i mean i give the caveat that we don't want to tie them to trees because it will it, it can damage them but uh, a high line's another thing but that oftentimes takes time but just a tree strap throw it around so that you can do what you need to do and your horse stays, stays with you or stays contained of some sort. Um, one of the things is to have the 10 essentials. I didn't grab my slide. I have another uh, slide or another presentation that could go through 10 essentials and having it on your person. So as opposed to 
on your on your saddle. Um, one of the first things to to do is make sure um, in search and rescue our our mantra that we do is take care of yourself, take care of your team, then take care of the subjects. And we do that again and again and again is that you're not any good to anybody if you get hurt or you're not able to function. And the same thing with this. Yes, our horses are beloved, but um, if they run off with everything, your cell phone, your <laughs> everything you need to, to survive or it, you're, you're going to be in a, in a world of hurt and you can't help your horse or anyone else if you're not able to, to do that. So the 10 essentials at another time, if you'd like me to go into any of those, I'd, I'd be happy to, but on your person. So it doesn't have to be a lot. Um, you can get most everything in. I wear a little, like a fanny pack. I also have a, a very small hydration pack for my water that I wear on my backpack that has enough for, for me to have the rest of the, the 10 essentials, which is navigation, a light source, a heat source, extra food, extra warmth uh, are the, the basic elements of, of, of a 10 essentials. But um, there it's, that becomes imperative for anyone to, to be able to have and not to have it. I duplicate it on my saddle and, um, but having it on your person. Having some kind of a treats, however, um, some people are not really in favor of that, but having something that you know your horse likes. Um, I keep them on my saddle and not necessarily my 10 essentials, which might be a good idea, but um, I keep them because I do the air scenting and I use them for that. But something is a good idea to, to have some source of, of enticement back that your horse is used to. Some people do peppermint um, candies or, or something like that. Something that, that you can entice a frightened horse back to you uh, as well, or use it for someone else. The callback sound, like I said, um, whether that's a, a bell, something on a regular basis that you can let know. Know where you are. That's one of the big things with a map and GPS, but knowing where, where you are gonna be um, and being aware of, of that, of, of your situation. Um, that I tell people when they get out of their truck or their trailer, find north right then. So they, and then if you have a map, so you know where you are because um, phones now are much better. But again, as we've mentioned, phones fail. And, uh, and so having an idea of, of where, where you are in the world uh, keeps you um, oriented so that if you need to tell somebody which way, the, which direction the horse went cross country, you're, you're able to at least give a, a general, they went 
southwest. They went some way. So knowing where you are. Another good thing is a picture of your horse's track. We do this for, we do a, a, a children's uh, grab a, a hug a tree and survive is for them and for children out in the wilderness and even adults, you take a, a print and like have a little piece of foil and everybody steps on it. So we can see the track and we leave that in the car or leave it in your, in your um, truck and trailer. But if you also with phones now, you can take it just so if it's shod, how big it is, um, put a ruler or a glove or something next to it so that on a regular basis, then we're able to, if we do need to track it, we can distinguish it. If it's a heavily used trail, we can distinguish your track from other tracks that have been on there. But having that is a, is a really handy, expedites the whole search process. Uh, someone's asking, they have brass fixtures on their halter, not steel. Are they breakable enough as advertised to be safe? Uh, you know, I don't know about that. I haven't, I would think that the brass might, it's a softer metal. And so it's, it's possible, but usually what breaks first is, is a leather before the, before the brass. But if they had a synthetic, um, I look at a lot of used nylon halters and, even on the nylon ones, the, the, unless the brass has, they're usually molded. Mm -hmm. So if, if they advertise them breaking, I would make sure that it, it um, has a point where it separates, that it, it's not a molded piece, right? That it's, it's a, I don't know, connected piece. <laughs> Does that make sense? So that it actually has been, um, connected and that would be the point that it would move apart but the molded ones like on halters and stuff uh they they don't seem the 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 wear and tear of the even the nylon will go first but. and on on lead shanks on lead ropes and things um would it make sense that you would want a breakaway piece connecting the halter to the lead if you have a, a continuous like a rope one or is that no? Um, if if the they get away, I wouldn't do a breakaway because that's one of the ways that if you have the lead rope, that will slow the horse down. Mm, true. Because because you you want that to stay connected, and and typically if that gets caught somewhere, um, they're they're going to be standing be there caught. and then it'll be close. <laughs> it'll yeah. be close. And then stepping on it. That's why I do like at least a, not the short lead ropes. I like um, about a 12 foot lead rope just because they'll catch it on their front feet and their back feet and, um, and training them to yield to that pressure and not to continue going. So they'll stop with that pressure. That's another training technique. Yep. Um, we are running out of time. That was Rebecca uh, has written articles. Okay. If you go um, over, you don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Rebecca's written articles really um, excellent. What she's saying 
a lot of the same kind of things that I'm talking about is really having that equine sign language. You can see here, if you run up quickly running your arms, what are you communicating to that horse? If you're a leader, you're saying, ah, there's something scary out there. And, um, and we want to, you want to be calm. You want to walk. You don't want to chase after them because um, they're frightened and they're going to move away. You want to entice them to come back. You want to be relaxed, calm. And, and I typically say, because we work a lot with, with uh, wild horses as well, you keep your gaze down, your back to the horse, um, and just use your peripheral vision if you don't know the horse. Now, if you know the horse, it's your horse. Having that relationship, um, building that relationship becomes essential, but not running after them. Um, the, the first stage of, um, of if you lose a horse out in, the, out in the wilderness, you need to assess yourself. I mean, have you, have you come, un, un, <laughs> come off? Um, and that would be the first one. So again, take care of yourself. Where are you mentally? So you're really ticked off. You're really frustrated. You got to let that go because if you approach your horse because you're really mad and you're swearing at them because they made you walk for a half a mile down a steep trail, um, I can tell you he's going to tell that and he's not going to want or she's not going to want to come up close to you. So assess yourself, assess yourself physically, and then do an, a mental assessment and say, all right, what, what can I do and how can I get the horse to come to me and see me as his leader, that I'm a safe person and that he's going to want to be with me? Um, where are you? Make sure you get that recorded. Are there other horses around? Again, don't have them chase them, but possibly have the horses move around a little bit in the op in the a direction so they'll come back by you. So horses will again want to be with a herd. See how you can use those. Um, is the horse nearby? Has he stepped on his lead rope? Um, and has and and then be able to look and see where it is. So again, horses will typically want to stay on a trail and they're going to continue on to that trail. They're going to take an easier route. So being able to walk around the horse, get at least on their side, they have a balance line in the middle and that other horses will, will use to move horses. So you want to come up and, and not come directly from behind because they're just going to continue going down the trail. You want to get off the trail, try to circle or come at them at an angle or the side, not from behind. Um, look around for natural barriers that you can have, that you can uh, bring the, um, so if there's a a big field to the side, or if there is a ravine 
then they're not going to typically go there. So use that ravine, use those natural, what we call um, barriers to, for travel, use those for your advantage. So just look around, see the, try to think about it as, as a, a, um, a map on a, on a table or something so that you're, you're not sending them uh, down the road, but you're, you're trying to contain them. And that's one of the first things is, is think about containment physically with, with your environment and then by your actions. Cell phone, um, if, you, if they're out of sight, you're by yourself, you can't you know other horses, you haven't seen them, um, do you have service? Immediately, as quickly as you can, notify a friend, um, have them go to the trailer or wherever you started from. Horses have this great ability to scent, and that scenting, they know where they came from. They know where home is. They know where their trailer is. They know where other horses typically are. So doing that quickly, the one, the Fletch one that we had, um, she waited, it was a borrowed horse. She was afraid of, of telling her, her friend that she borrowed the horse from. So she tried to figure it out. She didn't notify the owner and didn't get us on the scene uh, for over 24 hours. Mm. So, yeah. And so we weren't able to, to do it. Um, take a picture in that environment of your horse tracks. If you can find what's called a track trap, which is a softer dirt, mud, um, an imprint, even in the trail, get a picture of it right there so that then we can, we can differentiate between, between those. Um, whoops. Well, that was the, <laughs> the end of that. I was going to show you um, stage two then is to contact the, um, your search and rescue group. And then, and, and many times the search and rescue, a posse or a mounted ones will help with a whole, a whole service. Let me see if I'm going to stop sharing for just a moment and share a different screen. Okay. And if you want to. Well, somebody's yeah. saying that when my horse was young, I trained her to ground tie and then I simulated falling off and she stops when I come out of the saddle as a roper has for horses that stop when you dismount. It's pretty smart. Yes, yes. And, um, and ground tying is great. I, I, I would still, because you have the lead rope, I would still um, be cautious because what happens many times in, in our area is they'll get stung, which kind of all, all bets are off, particularly if they continue to sting them um, in the process. Yeah, it's, it's a really good idea to have some connection between you and your horse. Yes. Um, when I was in Botswana in 98, we had a woman that came from Switzerland and we were moving camp. We were going to fly camp and she was on a off the track thoroughbred. And uh -huh. she, we got off our horses and she did not hold on to her horse because she did not have to hold on to her horse at home. 
Right. <laughs> well, this horse decided to take off and go back to base camp. And our poor guide left us sitting there with the gun in the grass while he jumped on the horse. That's that one. So, so it's a good idea to have a connection between you and your horse, even, yes. if, even if they ground up. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to show some of, um, some of the other work that we do. So we use a lot of the same techniques that we use um, for, for search and rescue at, um, with, with, um, with the, the lost horse. What we did is from this first one, I don't know if you can see, does that make it bigger? Yep. Okay. This first one is um, the main highway. Uh, you can kind of see the main highway here. This uh, was an area that the, the person had gone to. And so there were some lakes right around here. She actually, uh, on a later screen, I'll, I'll show you. It was about, I think it was about five miles away. Let me just see. You can see it kind of on this one. I couldn't get them all because it connected it too much, but it was it was probably five miles away. So this is where she was camping and had gone. And so this point last seen, the PLS is, is where she'd stop. There's a little lake here. She'd stop there and had lunch. Like I said, was getting back, had most of their lunch packed and had one last things that she reached for and the horse spooked as best we could see she followed um, in or could you just close the navigation screen the little x to the to the right of navigation and then yeah. it'll be bigger for us great there you Thank go you. perfect uh-huh and so she came all the way back here we found out again it was 24 hours later that we actually heard about it went back up there I came back up with my GPS, marked these, and then this is the point where the horse went off the trail. It kind of widened. You can see the natural barriers of the terrain closer together. They're hills. So this went through down a hill, and this is where the horse had gone off. Um, we start by doing, at that point, we organize people we need to make sure all of our searchers are, are safe. We have communication with them and they have an assignment. So we were able to get, this was pre, um, just before an endurance ride. So we had lots of people that were up there and um, lots of people wanted to help, but they just wanted to go out and ride. And they're endurance riders, which means they go fast and not necessarily really watching for things. And so we set up a, um, a headquarters or a, a, a incident command, which gave them just two-way radios. We set up some relays because it's poor communication. They could get a little bit of cell coverage in some areas. And we set up containments. And that's what you can kind of see here. So here is a containment. We went around the edge of this area. And, and then after we could see that there weren't tracks going out of that area, 
then we would do a grid back and forth. And you can see the different areas where we could find where the horse had been, had stayed, and um, there's areas that we couldn't cover because it was too dense. And so we were able to, to, to um, look a little farther. You can see some other containment areas that we did here is another containment. We went all the way around here. You can see this is kind of a low line area, lots of deadfall. Here's another containment. And then the, the additional ones would be, um, we would do a grid if we thought this was a high probability of areas. We sent people up and around the outside to make sure that he hadn't crossed that. So that is part of you, you narrow down the area. So you look at the areas, use natural boundaries, natural um, travel um, uh, barriers, and then look to see if, if they've come across or, or tracked on that. We at this one, had him, and I'll just finish up real, really quick. Sorry. <laughs> um, we had him down to, let's see. Um, no, that's, that's the camp there, but we had him down to about less than a half a mile after four, we were four days into it. Wow. Um, we had, he didn't have a water source here. We spent a lot of time doing a lot of looking around other water sources. So that was our biggest thing. We carried water in because we thought he might got hung up. So he would have been thirsty because it would have been, uh, we, we didn't actually get out there until to day two. And so by four days, we were able to, to get out there. One of the things that is sad about this one, but also uh, shows the importance of having somebody who's trained is that um, the owner of the horse was out there with me. We were riding, we were actually um, dragging things behind us. So, because the horse would come back to the trail and oh. we could see is he'd come continue to come back, be back there for a while. It's a canyonous area, so the sound would travel as best as we could say. See, he'd come back, but um, so we would swipe out, we uh, drag a, a branch and rocks behind us so that our tracks didn't confuse with his tracks, and that we were we were right on it. We were very close. He circled around. We're pretty sure right behind us, and. That night we had a big thunderstorm and the, the owner wanted to spend the night. And I said, we had some big strikes close to us. I said, no, it's not safe. You can't stay out here. And she kind of argued with me a little bit. And I said, no, there's a really good chance of fires. There's no communication. I, I can't, I, I mean, you're a grown person, but I can't help anymore. I will not be part of this. If you don't follow my, <laughs> my directions, sure enough, that night we'd heard, we came back out. We we're going to come back early in the morning. We had a lightning strike and that became a very large fire. They, we had people in the field the next day and the forest service asked us to 
asked uh, to take our team and go evacuate, let people know on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is this blue in here, to um, have them leave the area, close, and let them know that that this was an imminent danger. This became uh, a very large fire very quickly. Winds changed and moved, and so we had to just stop. But we were very close to getting him in. It was very frustrating. We have not found any any evidence of him, um, but afterwards. But it, the the primary thing again was people safety. The Forest Service was very appreciative that we were able to go up and let campers know on the Pacific Crest Trail that there was a a very possibility. This whole area burned, um, and. And what like an area are we looking at here? Um, this is, these are, let's see, let me pull up one last, let's see. Can I share a different screen? How does that? Um, so, so the person who was riding the horse didn't report it for 24 hours, which is why this situation, most likely why the situation ended the way it did. Yes, and and she was, she felt horrible and she was in her eighties. So, and she was riding by herself and she just, she thought she could catch up and catch it. And then she got back to camp but couldn't find it and went out the next day with just a friend and hiked some more and then finally finally couldn't find her and, and called the owner and then they called us in but it wasn't until the next day i mean 48 well, hours had passed so the moral of this story is if you lose your horse in wilderness call immediately yes yes and and call somebody i mean or or get down to the trailhead or get somewhere because the horse you can see this is where the horse would have gone was headed back home went off trail here but we would have been able to to find it right away but it was heading home most likely right or headed back to a trailer and so that's where i say call somebody let them know you're okay first of all but also let them get somebody on that trailhead or where the trail is, where your trailer is. And, and then, and then really talking to search and rescue people or somebody to organize, because that's the other part of this. We had several people that were just, Oh, we'll go look. And so they just rode. Well, it could have, contaminated the area I was then I had to spend a whole lot of time trying to evaluate yes we saw horse tracks here well whose were they were they <laughs> the people who were helping out or 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 what and so um and just keeping we had 25 people out in the field and um and and I feel I mean as an incident commander in this situation feel very responsible for those, making sure we have communication. And then all of these, I have GPS, so I could give them a GPS. I'd bring it back, download where it has been, so I could plan the next day's 
um, assignments. And for the most part, I was able to print out maps, give people assignments, tell them what we'd like them to do. They come back in, report. And then I made sure everybody was back in, everyone was safe. And just those are standard operating procedure for search and rescue, but many times don't get applied. It's it's not, no one takes the, the time to apply those standards uh, to the horse world. And of course, the, the, fi- the storm, which you were very concerned about, did turn out to be a fire. Yes, and, um, yes. yes. And, and that would have been very unsafe for her because it, it, she wouldn't have known necessarily the wind was blowing a different direction, but it burned right, right in the area right here yeah. where we, we knew where we thought he was. So yeah, it, this is the Millican. So it hit the fire hit right here and then burned right into this area and then swept around and burned all of this and all the way to the town of sisters. Wow. wow. Yeah. And it did it very fast. <laughs> so, so um, I've probably taken more of your time, but um, if somebody's but yeah. asking when this was, this was 2017. Uh, it was in August and it was right before the eclipse. So, Oh, um, one of one of the pro- other problems were uh, we had a full view of the eclipse in this area, and so we were inundated. And so all of the the sheriff's department, which would oftentimes help with this, were occupied in trying to to figure out um, how to handle it all. But yes, this was you know I remember this because I was. I take groups to Africa to, for horseback safari and somebody was coming from Oregon and between the smoke and everything, her flights got, she never made it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why I was like, Oh, I, I know that one. Yes. Yes. Yep. So. Oh, wow. All right. We'll just go ahead and unshare your screen and we'll wrap this up. So okay. I think the take home message as always is preparation being prepared. If you're going to go out in an area in wilderness, especially where there's the possibility that your horse could come loose for any number of reasons, bees being one of the, one of the ones that you've mentioned a couple times, yes, Um, for any reason um, that it's safety first preparedness. And then if anything happens immediately call for, for support. Yes. Yep. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me, Lori. This is, once again, it's really fascinating. Um, you know, where I live, uh, we're, we're, uh, our, our distances are much smaller. I do, (laughs) you know, my County backs up on skyline drive. So we do have wilderness. I had bear just the other day. Um, but but we don't have that, the incredible, uh, acreage, you know, just size that you guys have out there and it's beautiful country. I've been out to bend, um, and it is gorgeous country out there. Um, so I want to thank you so much for joining me today and presenting this. This has been terrific. All right. Goodbye. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye.